right, everybody, welcome to the 280th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man, Sage. Um, we just witnessed Dustin's really, really, really bad top shot pack, not worth really showing off because it was four commons, but uh, I lucked out on the top shot drop today, so I'm very happy about that. I'm sticking with my WNBA moments. That's my bread and butter, so... This was a fun little uh, venture, and I thought it might be worth the money that I had in, in the account, but it was not. So Zero I, I percent can't. chance you make your money back. Zero. Oh, no. I, I know I'm not. I'm going to yeah. try and just get something back. But, yeah, I'm going to stick with the WNBA moments. Really good collector score bump. Uh, they're new-ish. This will be season series two. Um, so if you want to get a lot of series ones, they're, they're already out there. And I've, I've made a, a good... ROI on the WNBA moment. So I think that's, I think it's a, an untapped market. Yeah, man. Finding that niche in anything like this, finding that 5% niche where you can carve out your home is, is a really smart, practical way of investing in this NFT market. So I like it, but we really aren't here to talk about my dub top shot pack openings and your humongous L. We're here to talk about my favorite prospect in this draft, A.J. Griffin. That is high praise. As you mentioned, uh, A.J. Griffin is up next for the, our future Friday series. A.J. is a 6'6", 222-pound wing from Duke University. Rivals.com had him as the 17th overall prospect in the class of 2021. He was a five-star recruit. Um, clearly he chose Duke, but he chose them over other blue bloods. He had offers from just about every school, uh, in America, but he chose Duke over Kentucky, Kansas, and Villanova. Uh, some fun facts about him, his father, Adrian Griffin, who some of our listeners may be familiar with, uh, not only played 10 seasons in the NBA, but he's currently an assistant coach with the Toronto Raptors and Sage. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he is going to be making some short lists for upcoming head coaching uh, vacancy. So, so that is a, a, a name to uh, kind of keep in mind. And what's kind of interesting about some of these prospects we've been discussing is their, their bloodlines and their DNA with, with the sport. Um, like a lot of our other prospects, uh, AJ participated in the, the 2019 FIBA Americas uh, under 16 championship. Uh, he won a gold medal with Team USA in 2019. He averaged uh, 13 and a half points, a team high 3.3 uh, steals uh, per game in those six contests. Uh, he was the number one player in the state of New York. Uh, and New York is one of the basketball meccas. So to be the number one player in that state uh, says quite a bit. Currently on the year, uh, Duke is 23 and four. They are ranked seventh in the AP poll and sixth in the coaches poll, specifically for AJ in 21.8 minutes per game. He's averaging 10 points, shooting 48.1% from three, uh, 49.8 from the field, 75% from the line, grabbing 3.7 rebounds, uh, dishing out 1.1 assists. Also chipping in uh, half a block and 0.4 steals. And doing all of that with a player efficiency rating of 21.7. The game we watched, so 
as we discussed on our, our Jalen Duran episode, our YouTube channel that we would kind of go for for full games uh, was MIA for a couple of weeks. So you really had to kind of take it back old school and look in the TV guide and say, okay, when, when does a team with a prospect that we want to cover actually come on, you know, cable television? Well, it so happened to be that it was a rematch of a thriller uh, earlier in the month against the university of, of Virginia, uh, a game in which Duke won uh, 61, 65. It was a bit of a clunker. Uh, Virginia, Virginia plays some of the quickest games. They don't foul. They take a lot of time off the shot clock, very fast game, but very defensive oriented, just a grinder of a game. Uh, In 24 minutes, AJ finished with 13 points, uh, six rebounds, a block and a steal, hit three really big threes in the closing minutes of, of the game, overall finished four of 11 from the field in a game in which I would say only Virginia's point guard, Kihei Clark, shined. Every Everyone else mightily struggled in this game. So when we're talking about AJ, and, and I'm sure you've done this, AJ, I mean, we've seen Duke play uh, countless times. So we'll reference this game, but, you know, I've watched scouting videos on him. We've seen him play uh, against North Carolina in, in Coach K's last game in Chapel Hill. Uh, we've seen plenty of games from Duke. So we're not only just referencing this game, but other contests that that we've seen from AJ. And I would also just continue to champion the importance that don't just watch a player once because you don't know, one, if they're having a good day, if they're having a bad day, you don't know the system. Uh, you don't know the all, just the the all of the factors that go into a college game. Like as we were watching this specifically, Sage, I was texting. I was like, "Does Coach K not know what a pick and roll is? Everything was ISO and just run to the basket. Like there was no ball movement, no player movement. Like I said, it was a grinded out kind of just like slugfest. Um, that really wasn't a pretty basketball game to watch. The spacing was horrendous. So." It's really hard when you have players in certain systems to say, yes, they can do that. No, they can't do that. You have to kind of take a a leap of faith and say, I'm projecting that based upon a couple of plays or just flashes, I think they might be able to do this at the next level. That's why scouting prospects is so difficult to do, especially freshmen, because they're only getting one year of college uh, experience. And it's why you kind of really put a lot of stock into the combine if the player will actually go and play in those five-on-five games. You I mean, you see players rise because it's more of a free-flowing NBA style of action. So it's that's why it's just so hard because there, there's a few prospects in this class that I think jump off the tape regardless of system, scheme, whatever. I think that's why they're tier one prospects. But once you start getting into the middle lottery, late lottery, first round, you have to just kind of make some judgments and you have to kind of use your own eyes and what they're telling you and what you've seen in other situations. And that that was really hard for me with, with AJ because you can tell he's talented Sage, but the number when, when I was reading off of his statistics, the number that jumped out to me the most, it it wasn't the 48% from three. That's fantastic. The number that jumped out at me the most is he's playing less than 22 minutes per night uh, which is just kind of ridiculous because he's clearly Duke's first or second best player. Yeah, well, that that leads into um, a lot of people are going to worry about his injury uh, history, and I kind of did some research on that. Injured his ankle 
when he was a junior in high school and then returned for the playoffs. And then the COVID season hit and he just stayed in Tampa with his father uh, recovering from the ankle and like learning how to play ball. And you can tell that he plays ball at a very high level. And then he sprained his knee at Duke. So I think that the sprained knee is a reason why that he started off the year. So, so uh, light on minutes. And as he started playing, you saw that Wendell Moore started because I thought that there was a chance he was going to be the player, the player of the year in the beginning of the year. And then now it's just like Wendell's not really part of the, 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 the big five on that team. Really? He's like the, uh, he's like the sixth man. Cause, cause you got to play AJ, you got to play Paulo. So it, it's kind of a weird thing with him recovering from injury, but then you see like when he's in the game, it's like, he's one of the more smart players on Duke because what Duke is doing is just like aggressively cutting to the basket during post-ups. And he's the one like moving off ball, trying to get that spacing. So like the, the, the college game is just absolutely the worst for a, a team like Duke where, they're, they're just aggressive cutters. When I watched the game, it was really awkward for me knowing that Coach K was actually using A.J. Griffin and Mark Williams, I think two of his three best players, to do offense for defense substitution. Oh, yeah, that was, it was crazy because A.J. Griffin made the game-winning steal. And he just had the – he hit a three and he immediately got, got taken it out. Was so, so, it was such a bad rotate. Like Trevor Keels or uh, Roach. Roach or Wendell Moore. Like those – I know people listening probably roll their eyes and say, how can you critique coach K He's probably one of the greatest college coaches of all time. I'll give him that. You can still be wrong. Greg Popovich, probably the greatest coach of all time. He was wrong for having Tim Duncan on the bench in game six of the 2013 NBA finals. Mm -hmm. There was no Tim Duncan there to grab that rebound. We all know what happened. Mm. Every no one's perfect. Everyone makes a mistake. I thought it was a really poor rotation by Mike Krzyzewski and I don't know why he continues without going off off tangent. I don't know why he continues to let Wendell Moore and Trevor Keels and, and Jeremy Roach really try to initiate this offense because there is no rhyme or reason to what they're trying to do. They're winning games just based upon pure talent alone. Mm-hmm. It, it's really shocking to see how poorly this team is constructed, especially from a recruiting standpoint. Why wouldn't you want to get – a, a pure point guard, like a Ty Ty Washington out there. Like when, when Duke won a natty there, it, there's no surprise that they did it with Trey Jones or Tyus Jones, excuse me. Like mm-hmm. he was the floor general. He got the ball to Winslow. He got the ball to Okafor and, and they, they won it all. Guard play is so imperative at the collegiate level. And I would, while I was watching AJ, I was thinking, you know, if I was a non point guard, I would go where there is a point guard there to make my life easier. Mm-hmm. A good point guard is just going to serve it up on a silver platter, and it's it's just not there for Duke. So it's really hard for me personally to evaluate um, AJ. Uh, you mentioned though that he is your favorite prospect in this draft class, and I just my question is, tell me why. I think that he is one of those guys that just fits around everybody. And like, it's like, he's a universal wing player that fits around Dame. He'll fit around everybody. He has so many, he has so much talent that he can just fit in the role that is there. And he's extremely talented. The shooting is awesome. The, 
the athleticism is awesome, but you see that he's a good teammate and like his teammates like congratulate him for his, his successes. He, even when he was getting taken out for uh, Mark Williams, you saw him cheering on the sidelines. I, I feel like it's a high character player with all of the athletic markers of him being elite with elite shooting. It's just like the most interesting prospect. If you if you can utilize all those skill sets, he could be he could have one of the highest ceilings in the in the uh, in the class. So it's just who he is as a person plus all of those gifts. It's like, I want that. I want that on my team. I want to cheer for that for 15 years. I want to see Damian Lillard mentor him and turn him into that alpha alpha scorer, that number one guy. Cause I think that he has a skill set for all of it. It's just that right now he's being put as the, the secondary to Apollo and he's succeeding in that role. He could have gone anywhere, but I think that he really enjoys that Duke experience. And I definitely like even when we watched that game one, I made that 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 note. He moves really well. He is he understands the game. It's probably because of all the the high level coaching that he gets from his father. So uh, he is definitely my number one. And the tools are just incredible. Yeah, what I would say is his role right now is primarily three and D mm-hmm. at Duke. Um just looking at his overall um, attempts, basically 50% of his makes and his attempts come from three-point range, and that number has only increased over the past five games. He has taken, or excuse me, he's made 33s like of his last 49 field goals. So essentially 60% of all of his made field goals over the past five games, or excuse me, his attempts, 60% of his attempts have came from downtown. So he's already got that aspect there. I think there's a lot to like with the jump shot. It's very compact. There's not a lot of movement, which is the reason for his 48% uh, consistency. Uh, I, I think there are there is room for improvement. and Definitely speeding it up. He needs to speed it up. There was a couple of times, especially early in the game, where he was passing up opportunities that a quicker quicker release gets that shot off. Mm-hmm. It w- would have been a good shot for, for AJ. So I think he needs to uh, speed up the release. And I think he. I would love to be able to see at least flashes of movement shooting. Most of the time right now, it is just uh, it's catch and shoot. And that's where you have to be able to project and say – I think he's going to be able to do it or I'm not certain with the mechanics of the shot, because if the mechanics right now are ideal for catch and shoot, because you, you know, exactly it's, there's not a whole lot of movement there, which, which you want to see. I like Uh, the explosion from his legs too on the jump shot. I think that his legs might be one of the best parts of AJ Griffin. It's that it's that center of that's it's the trunk. We even saw in that, Virginia game when he got switched onto a big his legs were the reason that there was no forward momentum for that posting big he was stand still and and uh stopped so I, I, I love the explosion from his legs really is the interesting part because I, I don't know if you can he definitely does like step backs to create space to shoot but I don't know if we're like in the pros Yusuf Nurkic is going to set a screen for him running off ball yet. I, th- I think that 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 
the base of his shot and the, the, the speed in which he releases might be too slow. One area I, I do think we can see hopeful improvement as, as the season ends is the handle. Like right now it's, it, it needs work. I don't think he has the handle of some of the other guards uh, in his similar tier. So a lot of it could be because he hasn't really played a lot of basketball. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the time off, the injuries, the slow start to Duke. It's a short college season. So you got to know that he, I think that's like one of the first things I would tell him to work on. Like, I, I think you have to be able to put the ball on the floor, even if it's just to, to get into the mid ranger, just to, just to get to the lane uh, off of a, you know, a quick curl action, not CJ McCollum type of ISOs, not Kevin Durant where you're dancing with the defender at the top of the key, but you know, you're able to hold your own a little bit. So I really want to see some improvement because he got, he got stripped pretty. pretty oh yeah. The, 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 yeah, yeah. But I would, I would say that I think to set up his drives, his handle is pretty bad, but to set up the shot, I, I feel like he has a really big bag of getting that g- generating space using like dribble combos and step backs and sidestep the the bag to get the open three is good, but to get to the hoop, it's really like basic level across and go in one hand. I think that that is yeah He definitely needs to work on that. But at one point, like watching this Duke team that takes so long to make that decision to see a guy that makes that quick, quick decision and goes is kind of like, oh my God, this is this is actually a good player. Trying to figure out, like, evaluate this Duke team might be the def- toughest because you, if you're looking at AJ, you see Paulo do something amazing, or you see Mark Williams, or you see Trevor Keels do something. The, the talent on this team is really hard to just stick on one AJ Griffin or one Paulo or one Mark. It's like, oh God, there, there's, there's four pros on this team at bare minimum. Let's Let's keep an eye on everybody. But yeah, the, the handle for AJ, especially going to the rim, needs some help. And I'm not I'm not a dribble guy. Like, I don't know. But like, I feel like developing a handle isn't the most difficult thing in the world. It, like, it you need to practice. And his father is a head coach. So I think they're going to drill in a lot of moves. And like, his bag has a lot of, a lot of stuff in it to just get his space to rise up. He just needs to be able to attack the basket with that, that God given athleticism. Speaking of attacking the basket, given his, his frame for a big guard, I, I would like to see him finish through contact a little bit more. It, it seems like he loves to kind of stop just short and, and he, lo- there, he loves that the push shot. It, it's, it's very similar to Benedict Matherin, who loves that that push shot in in the lane. Like I, I want to see. I don't think he he definitely doesn't have Jaden Ivy athleticism, but that's I, I love that mentality that he's going to go at the rim. And at six six, I mean, these are collegiate defenders. There's not every not everyone is is a Walker Kessler or you know Christian Coloco out there. Like go at these defenders. They're probably going to foul the shit out of you and you're going to get to the line. So that's another area that even if he only gets one to two dribble drives per game, is he settling for that push or is he kind of taking that, that next extension and going to the, the, the lane because his frame six, six, two twenty two, 
that is a man right now, especially on the collegiate level. He looks so, like a damn linebacker. Yeah, you you would expect him to play with a little bit more uh, physicality. And again, that could be because he's still tentative from his injuries. Uh, but with that said, it is, you know, almost early March. He's been playing, you know, almost three, four months now. At, at some point, I, I want to see more physicality from yeah. him, especially at, at the big guard position, because I think that is just so crucial to have, you know, he doesn't have to average, you know, eight free throw attempts per game, but to know when he's going to get the ball, a true triple threat. I think one of those threats is getting getting to the line, scoring with the, uh, the clock stopped. You know, obviously you take momentum away from the home crowd. Um, you're able to maybe stop the bleeding, or you can continue just to to slow grind uh, your opponent down. So I, I think he's capable of that. But that's something where I'm looking at when I watch him going forward into the the ACC tournament and the the NCAA tournament. I, I think that a, another reason that he's not showing off the uh, the handle as much as the spacing's fucking awful. So if he drives, there's going to be at least one hand poking at the ball, and then it's going to lead into a double team because Mark Williams can't not be in the paint in that dunker spot. So it's, it's not the most – like, I think in NBA spacing, we're going to see – NBA spacing, that isn't the Trailblazers. Let me – NBA spacing is going to u- be able to give him more space to at least – have a runway to score because if, if he's trying to drive to the lane, like Paulo's going to be there. Mark Williams is going to be there, meaning that their two defenders are going to be there. So it's going to be a much more difficult shot. It, it, like compared to like what like a, a team can do with real, with real spacing. He has an open lane to the hoop. One thing that I found really interesting and that my math is wrong because he did have a turnover in uh, the Virginia game. But he takes care of the ball really well for a, a, a wing player. Like right now, I, it's 19 turnovers. It's going to be 20 turnovers, but 20 turnovers, like that's like less than a turnover a game with how fast paced the NBA is going to be. Someone that takes the time to at least make the right pass is going to be special. So we've talked a lot about his, his offensive game. Defensively, what, what have you seen from AJ? Okay, so defensively on ball i think that he is good he 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 forces the direction to the help so he'll force that driver and he has the legs to like block off a lot of the uh the the driving angles he forces it to the help of trevor keels or mark williams so i really like the way that he plays on ball defense off ball is kind he, have you noticed that he is a really big floater he plays off. He plays defense like I play defense, Sage. In the sense of if it's five on five, I'm like, you know, when you you you're playing playground ball or you know playing in a city league, and you're like, oh, I got 25. You know, I I got you know short shorts. Like I I got that dude, and I'm just I'm I'm zoning in on you, and I'm just gonna be up in your biz, and I'm just following one person. So I've noticed that in the past few games I've watched him. Like, hey, he plays defense how I would play defense, like almost. He's not scared to get beat, but it feels like, okay, like I just got to take care of my guy. So I want to see him grow into a more confident defender. Um, The communication is pretty terrible on Duke, and that's not just AJ. I saw one where he was sticking to his guy. His guy ran off of a curl, and they both followed the the shooter, and the the big was wide open. Like it, it didn't hurt them on that particular play, but I could tell like, 
okay, this team really is bad communicating at defense. And that's not just AJ Griffin's fault. That's that's Duke. Yeah. I have in my notes that he's face guardy. Yeah, he that's he just he doesn't pay attention to the ball. Like he pays attention to his man. So I think when we talked about Benedict Matherin and him kind of not really giving a shit about a defense at this stage in his career, you can at least tell that AJ cares. You just want to see a little bit more awareness. Is it Duke's concept or is it AJ Griffin? Because he's either floaty as hell or he's hugging his guy. So is there like a thing for Duke saying, hey. I've never, I mean, saying I've never is incorrect because we don't scout every year like we're scouting this year. But of all the prospects I've seen, he plays off ball. It's the most unique off ball, on ball. It's just the most unique individual defensive assignment that I've seen. I, I, I think that his hands are really good. And we saw it in that Virginia game where he poked out that. The game winning steal. Yeah, the game winning steal. Very intelligent player. Yeah. It's just, I just that. I want to see his. I feel like I feel like he just needs confidence, Sage. Like I know he has it when he's willing to take the shot and he makes the shot. But I, I just feel like there's if, if it's there it's going to be shown pretty, pretty soon. Like, I feel like he's ready to shed another layer and like, be like, okay, I'm actually the best fucking player on this team. Like that's, that's what I'm waiting for because you've everything you've outlined. It's there. And it just hasn't happened enough. Yeah. You just want to see it. It's almost like when we're talking about Chet Holmgren and talk about the potential, you see the potential, but now he's actually doing that, and it, he's taking over. That that is now Chet Holmgren's team, and that's why he is, you know, so close to that one or two uh, on on the big board. Maybe this could be uh, a, a NCAA tournament to remember for AJ, and his stock continues to rise because you know we've seen players have had big runs. Uh, look at Kemba Walker. You know, he went a high lottery because of that run with with UConn. You could kind of see, okay, this is the player we know we're going to get. I don't think whatever he does is going to significantly impact negatively his, his draft stock. I think he's at least a guaranteed lottery pick barring his, he stays healthy. Uh, so knock on wood for, for his sake, but I think he could really challenge a three or four or five pick. If he is able to have a, a significant ACC and NCA tournament run where he maybe takes some shine away from Paolo. And it's like, okay, we know what Paolo can do, but, you see AJ, like he's the real leader of that team. He's, he's their go-to player. He's now scoring at the rim. He now is showing off a little bit more, um, picking it up on the defensive end, you know, just maybe initiating the offense. Uh, so I, I think, you know, if it's going to happen, just wait and see. Mm-hmm. I agree with everything. I just, it's not the right, it, like, like it's a, what it's I've a heard. terrible team. Uh, I wish yeah. he wouldn't have gone to Duke. Could you imagine, like, if he had a, if he went to Kentucky with Ty Ty, I think we're talking about the third overall pick. It's just, damn, this, and we we're, we feel this way with Tari. Like, if he wasn't on LSU, he'd be so much higher. The, the team that these, these college kids go to matters so much. And, like, shit, just go to Purdue, go to a team, go to Michigan, go to a team that has multiple actions because, I don't. I didn't see any Duke play where there was a secondary action, like you know, Mark Williams sets a screen for somebody and they they do a back cut. It was none of that. It's just like I'm more athletic than you. I'm going to prove it here, here, and here. 
And one thing that I've noticed over the course of this season is how my opinions and kind of judgments of prospects changes. It's kind of, you know, a fluid process. Arizona was another team that just did not have a good point guard or at least a, a true pure, you know, table setter. What I've seen now from, you know, just to take Benedict Matherin as an example, what we watched his game against Illinois, it was a lot of just, you know, off ball catch and shoot. That's how he was getting his buckets. We were at wondering, you know, is he a secondary playmaker? Arizona has been on an absolute tear, probably going to be a one seed in the NCAA tournament. And what he is now doing, and I think it's a lot of kudos to their, their head coach, um, name is slipping my mind, but he was, it's not, first. it's not the sweaty guy. It's Tommy Lloyd. I think is his yeah. name, something he used to uh, coach at Gonzaga under Mark few now putting Matherin as the primary playmaker. And I watched every second of their matchup against the Oregon ducks and, I was texting. I was like, this, this guy is now getting into the lane and throwing lobs. Like this is not the player that I saw just two months ago. Mm. I would love if coach K would let AJ handle the ball and, and work some. Well, some you, you see the whole, like he gets the rebound and waits for the guard yeah. to get it. They, they don't have good guards. No. They, he needs to, and he's never going to be a primary playmaker. I don't think that's what anyone is asking of him, but if you can start to even see a, a simple pick and pop with Paolo, you know, you know, simple um, give and go, run some, just mm-hmm. run some high elbow uh, post action, just even just initiating the offense, just grabbing the ball and, and taking it down the floor like we've seen Jabari and Chet do. It's like, oh, okay, comfortable handing the ball. I get it. It co- if Coach K says one thing, they're going to do that thing. So it could all be for naught. But that well, that's would what really, you have to project, man. Like the, that, that Booker really didn't ease, do this. That would ease my mind if we were going into the draft and it's between AJ and Benedict. I know where you would fall, but for me right now, I, I would lean towards Matherin because of what I'm seeing growth-wise. It just means he's getting an opportunity to do so. So it's a little bit less projecting on my part. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's really so difficult when, when we're sitting here and you know scouting players because coaches, college coaches coach so much differently. The you you are- saw the way that AJ smiled when when uh Coach K like gave him props. It's like He's not gonna go. He's not gonna go rogue. He's gonna do exactly no. what Coach K asks. So my question is, what are the comps that you have for AJ Griffin? It was really hard to find. So I to, right now I think he is a supremely high floor, lower ceiling type of guy. I think he is a safer prospect. I don't know if I'm buying the top five hype just yet. Um, there are other guards on on the board that I like a, a little bit more, but I do think he reminds me of another Dookie. Wasn't the fleetest of foot, very intelligent, incredible three-point shooter. If he can get anywhere this 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 player's defensive capabilities, you're gonna be thankful you took him in the top 10. And that's Shane Battier. Ooh, I like that one. That's that's who he reminds Shane Battier was not the fastest, but he was the smartest. And he made Portland's life hell in that 2009 playoff series with he and Artest just hounding Brandon Roy. I, I don't think you necessarily want AJ guarding smaller, quicker guards, but he can handle his own against bigger wings. He's very strong. Um, I love the intelligence and I love the fact that he's an NBA shooter. I, I think you can speed up the release. I think you can do a lot of those things. Um if he never gets a handle uh, 
I think that's fine. I would rather he become an elite level defender than a secondary playmaker. I think a high level three and D is so valuable, uh, especially if you're able to guard wings. I mean, we saw Portland just completely go to shit when they got rid of Mo Harkless and Alfred Gaminu, and they were never able to really replace those, those uh, size and, 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 you know, skills players. I think AJ has the ability to become if he if he hits, I think you get Shane Battier, and you maybe even look back and say that was one of the top five best picks of that draft. I remember when uh, Memphis took Shane Battier, everyone's like, ah, it's a bit high. I don't know what the upside is. And Kwame Brown went number one in that draft. You think Washington would love a do over there? Absolutely. Shane Battier was a stud. So if he hits that, that's kind of where where I see um, in my comp. I think the 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 fifty percent is just at least five to seven year uh nba three and d player but i think if he if he gets that defensive down you're, you're looking at someone who's going to get paid a lot of dollars so okay this is based on their legs and the like the trunk of their body rj barrett though they have the same powerful haunches and like their legs are their best asset. Um, I feel so weird talking about 19 year olds legs this much, but and you just said their best asset. Oh, good one. <laughs> but I think that they're very similar. Like they're both from New York. I think that the main difference between RJ and AJ great combo of letters is RJ had point guard reps because he was the point guard of his team. AJ had a, college level point guard next to him so he didn't have the uh, playmaker he didn't have to use him so we never know what it is i think rj is a really nice comp for him because the the bodies are the same i think ken aesthetically i hate saying this but i think jimmy butler on the tib chicago bulls teams where he wasn't the main playmaker is a really good comp for him because jimmy got the playmaking down and now he's one of the best but like when he was on the Bulls, he was just like the the high intensity, high level player that just made everything work. Do you think AJ, AJ has the three point possesses Jimmy's intangibles? He has yet to have the chip on his shoulder that Jimmy yeah. has because that, that is special. Great a asshole, yeah. it, which works for him. Mm. But back to RJ, you a better shooting RJ Barrett? Oh, obvious, obvious, Okay. Well, I'm you, like, you R- substitute the playmaking for elite level shooting. But yeah, I, I could see like I'm I'm just trying to base on like the body type, like the 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 body type and the legs and like of Jimmy and RJ and like Jalen Brown with much better shooting. Like that that athlete that has skills is kind of the 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 uh, archetype that I'm looking at with uh AJ Griffin. Cause if he hits and he has playmaking skills. He he has a chance of being like a all NBA player if he if he gets the playmaking skills. So we've been doing this for I think almost two months now. So kudos to us. Where right now is AJ on your big board? We obviously have Jabari, we have Chet, we have Paula, we have Jaden. I think he's competing with Johnny Davis. So five. Five or six. Where do you have them? I think we're in agreement with one and two with Jabari and Chet. I've got Jaden Ivey three. Uh, I've got Johnny Davis 
four from Wisconsin and five, I've got Paolo, but where it gets dicey for me is if it came down to draft day and Portland's on the clock and they're deciding between Benedict Matherin and AJ Griffin, that's, that's where I'm trying to decide where I'm leaning towards. I think, like I said, because I've seen a little bit more, I would go uh, Matherin at six and then Dave or Griffin, excuse me, at seven. But, you know, there's also uh, Shaden Sharp, who was not playing this year for Kentucky, but the number one player essentially in, in his class of, of 22, which, you know, we both need to find some film on because he could be better than all of the guards uh, available right now. You know, John Calipari was saying, I've seen what number one picks look like, which he does. <laughs> yeah, and this guy looks like a number one pick, but I, he, he could be pandering to Sharp to come back to Kentucky for uh, next season saying he can be a, the number one pick in 2023. I, from, from everything that I've read, it's unlikely that he would go to Kentucky and turn down being a top 10, most likely a top seven pick uh, in this draft. So uh, at the moment, you know, it's just such a fun crop of big guards. Finally. I mean, I think it's finally a resurgent uh, of big guards. And so um, AJ's definitely in, in my top 10 so far. Nice. I think that once draft day hits, like I feel like the biggest riser has to be Jalen Duran. Like you look at his everything about him reads potential franchise center. So there's there's there could be a lot of movement. I J- Jalen Duran, like like we talked about, Jalen Duran scares the the hell out of me. Like there's always the, the treat the intrigue of a franchise changing center. Like there could be a chance that AJ is there at nine or ten. Because of all of the, you know. And I, I think why players like Jalen turn out to be busts sometimes, and by players like that, I mean just like high ceiling, very long-term, long uh, you need to be patient with them, is when you're in the lottery, probably top six, top five, you're looking for a player that does everything and that does have that that huge ceiling. And so maybe some players are perceived that maybe they don't do everything, but I can hit a home run with this player. Mm-hmm. And I think why you see so many like late first round studs and even second round studs is because players are evaluated on what they can do instead of what they can't do. And so teams feel more comfortable. You know, they don't feel like they're, they feel like the opportunity cost at, you know, pick 20 to the end of the draft is fine. Like, I don't care if this guy is not the best defender. He is an excellent ball handler and a knockdown shooter. He's going to fit perfectly with our team. I think if more teams took that approach in the mid to late lottery, instead of always trying to hit a home run, you would see some of these players move up the board. And I think it may push a player like uh, Jalen Duran down the board, but he would go to a team that doesn't need his services right off the bat because the worst, the better teams draft later in the, in the Mm -hmm. draft he might go to a better situation. So I think that honestly has a lot to do with why you see players like Willie Colley-Stein just kind of flame out. Like he doesn't go to the right situation in Sacramento. He had a high ceiling, but the skill set was incredibly poor and he never hit. And now he's out of the league. Maybe had he got drafted to a better team later in the first round, like a DeAndre Jordan, who went second round to the Clippers and was able to get groomed with, you know, Blake and CP and JJ Redick and Doc Rivers. So that it's just, it's all about not necessarily who's saying this is actually the best player at the time. It's like, what's the fit? What are you willing to, to risk? And I, I just think Portland right now having two top 10 picks, 
they don't need to hit grand slams if the grand slams aren't there is, is what I'm saying. And so I don't, maybe you roll the dice because you have two picks with a Jalen Duran, but I, I don't think you necessarily have to say we have to swing for the fences here. If you get two players that end up like Shane Battier, like, you know, we're talking about AJ Griffin, that's a fucking fantastic draft. Mm-hmm. So what that's would, a lot better than taking Zach Collins and Caleb Swanigan. Like, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Is, hitting doubles is okay in the lottery. You don't always have to get dames. I don't think AJ is a double. I think he's bigger. But we know you. you, you what, love your what's play. his fit with this current roster? That's a tough question because you're assuming off the bench with Lillard and uh, Simons at least getting a year together, Josh Hart or Nasir Little at the three. Even if those players are uh, off the bench, they're they're ahead of AJ in the rotation. So you're probably looking at fifth wing, fifth or sixth wing off of the. It, it's a tough. Right now, it might be. I think it's it's going to be tough for any guard Portland drafts uh, because they're going to try and go Lillard and Simons. But I really like him if he's able to start at the two because of all of the catch and shoot opportunities that he would get. Like one of the reasons I love Johnny Davis so much is his fit with the Blazers because he is just has an impeccable feel for that offensive end of the floor. Like he knows where the open spots are and he's going to get open when you have a guard as dynamic as Damian Lillard or someone who is rising to that level and Anthony Simons, they're going to draw attention. They have a gravity. They're going to yeah, pull the gravity towards them. You need a, if AJ, AJ Griffin, we can, fuck all about his speeding up his release if he is you know just that sitting there pick, picking teams apart from yeah it doesn't matter how fast or slow his release is i mean you get a 50 percent shooter from downtown that is a huge weapon to have in today's nba so the fit is potentially incredible it just depends on what portland does with their other guards like he needs time uh but at 6-6 you do like the ability to pair him with nasir or josh hart on on the wing uh, I think they give you just enough, um, enough of everything. You get winning players, smart players. I feel like he and this year are, they make up for each other's deficiencies. Cause I mean, I think the biggest thing with Nasir is that he is not the greatest shooter in the world, but if you have him, if you have AJ balancing the other side, they can't cheat as much because you have AJ Griffin on, on the court. So I value him really high because of that shooting and because of what he can do for this team. Like we are one of the worst spacing teams in the last five years to have a, another guy that shoots. So you have Ant, Dame, AJ, whoever, like it makes up for Yusuf Nurkic not being a shooter. It makes up for Nasir Little not being a shooter. We, we I had this discussion on uh, Twitter, like is AJ Griffin that much better than Nasir and uh Trendon and justice and i was like they don't compare to aj because of the shooting those three are very similar because of the lack of shooting shooting is the most important skill set to have in the modern nba yeah and and aj has it and those three don't so as a prospect if i was chauncey billups i'd be like aj you're, you're you gotta be in there to space this floor when we have not the not our best lineup and you have to be there so i think he would carve out carve out time at the two or the three so i i think his fit 
because of that shooting, he has to be in that rotation. It's it's just we have so many non-shooters. He makes up for he makes up for the deficiencies of a lot of our team right now who are signed to multiple years. Like I could be he could be the one reason why a certain lineup structure works is because 40% three-point shooting. You can't leave him open. And like with with Dame, just think he's driving to lane off a pick and roll with Yusuf. You can't cheat off of him. You can't cheat off of AJ. So Dame has a much easier time. A- AJ makes Dame's life a lot easier just because of the the threat, the threat of an open three from a guy that's shooting the absolute cover off the ball. I, I I'm in. I, I I think that that is a uh, and like Chauncey's going to be intrigued by all the defensive tools. So I I, I would take AJ in that position between him and Benedict. And I will admit I might be low on Benedict, but I will watch, I will watch some Arizona games with him as more of the lead ball handler. You, you and me both. I I was very low on Benedict. I had watched a few games even before we did our future Friday. And so I admit I went into the game with a bit of a, an unconscious bias. It was just impossible not to be biased off of what I'd already seen. And then I, I, like I said, I, the red flags are still there on, on defense, but but I I just love the maturation that he's able to do as the secondary playmaker. The shot's been more consistent. That was a, a big concern of mine because he, he, like I said, he reminded me of Derek Anderson, very hot, very cold, very streaky. Shot has been looking absolutely butter. Um, and, and I do think you can get a player to be more active on defense. Like if you don't play defense, you're, you're not going to play in in the league, but you can't teach a player to be six, six and slithery and just have all these natural tools. So there are some things, there are some things you have to say, what can this player do? And what can I teach him to do better? There are some things that are just like, I can't teach this player to do it. They're not good at it. It's just not going to work. And so you really have to kind of break down the skill sets into those buckets and then kind of weigh it out and to see what, what's, what's the best bet. Would you put AJ on ball? On ball, defending. Depend. I mean, a, a regular two guard probably, but n- none of these fast point guards. Like y- you don't want him with anybody who's more fast twitch. I, I don't think he's there yet in terms of his lateral speed to to stick with a point guard like a, a John Morant or you know what I mean. Like that's not that's not him. He's probably better suited to defend the the Chris Middletons and Clay Thompson's of the world. I like the way that he fought through all those screens against Virginia shooters. I, I mean, yo, the, the tools are super interesting. And uh, I think he's one of the best prospects in this draft. And uh, I think that that wraps it up on uh, AJ Griffin. So we are available on iTunes, Google play, Stitcher Himalaya podcasts, Dash Radio, nothing but net radio. And we will be back Sunday to talk about actual Portland Trailblazers basketball. Peace out, everybody.